BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's right. Fighting the Trump administration every single day. Good morning. Igor Volsky here of the Center for American Progress. Back again on The Bill Press Show after a short absence. Very happy to be here with the whole gang of The Bill Press Show. And what a week to come back on. My goodness. (laughs) We're going to get into that in a second, but I have, just to tease you a little bit, we're going to do a full week in review with, are you ready for this, New York Times headlines of the week. It's literally like a year in review crammed into a week. That's how I feel about everything that's gone down. And we're on a day here, Friday, May 19th, when... President Trump embarks on his first foreign trip. He leaves today. It's a, what, a nine-day trip? At the end of the trip, there's a summit he has to go to. Can you imagine this guy going on a foreign trip after everything that's happened? After it's become pretty clear, I think, to everyone that he may not be fit to even walk into the Oval Office, much less be our president. All of that and more on today's program, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know Jason Chaffetz. Yes. Well, it looks like he is leaving Congress. Now, we knew he was not going to run for another term, I mean, you can't hit that leg surgery. That's right. That's right. He is going to be leaving uh, a little early, before the... June 30th seems like a good transition point. That'll be my last day. There he is, June 30th. June 30th is his last day, so just a little bit over a month. Now, he did not specify exactly what he's going to be doing, but he has told his colleagues that he will be going to Fox News. That's the dream, yeah. Not sure if he's going to be a contributor or if he's going to get his own show. They do have some positions to fill over <laughs> at Fox News, if you knew that. I see him as a good fit on the five. He would be a oh, great, yes. like the five head. He's got a huge head, that he does. guy. He does, big head. Very, very big head. Hey, you're an art lover, right, Igor? Uh, love good Don't art. Don't you love art? Just yeah. love good art. Well, yesterday, a record, a record at Sotheby's auction as Jean-Michel Basquiat's painting of a skull sold for $110.5 million. 
dollars. Oh yeah, I bought that. The, oh, is that you? Yeah, I knew yeah. You for were, my I new, I'm moving. I'm moving next weekend for my new house. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, my, perfect. My favorite part of the story is the gasps among yeah. the crowd. I, like, All I these gotta, high culture rich people just. <gasps> I got, I got, I got a push notification last night right, <laughs> about this being sold. No, seriously, from the New York Times. And I, at first, I like freaked out a little bit because. You know, I got a breaking news alert, so I thought, oh, my God, something Show's horrible has happened. Again, yeah. This is the news alert. Amid gasps from the crowd, <laughs> Basquiat's painting of a skull sold for $110.5 million at, at, a, at the auction, a record for an American artist. Oof. Oof. <gasps> oh, my stars. Oh, my stars and garters. <laughs> How could it be? They, sh- they shook right out of those fur coats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Certainly, exactly. of all the things that happened this week, that news is the most shocking. I agree. It is very shocking. To the sports desk, where we go. Toronto's Blue Jay, Toronto Blue Jay center fielder Kevin Pillar is in a little bit of trouble. Oof. He has been suspended for two games because he yelled an anti-gay slur oh, no. at the pitcher uh, for the Atlanta Braves. He thought that he was quick-pitched to get a strikeout to in the seventh inning. He then looked towards the mound and shouted in plain sight. Didn't try and hide it. Just blurted it out. And uh, so the team was not happy with him. They have suspended him for two games. He put out a statement, said, I regret saying it. I'm going to use myself as an example of how there are words out there you cannot use. It's not a word I use ever. <laughs> but Peter, you know you know what that's called. We've all been there before. You know, a bigotry spasm. It just, yeah. just something overcomes you. And you yeah, just... you know. You gotta scream the uh, one of those words. It's like the Mel Gibson defense. Yeah. Remember Mel Gibson? He goes, "Oh yeah, I only uh, called that person the N word because I was drunk." You know how we yeah. like have a, just a few too much and become super racist and homophobic. Mm. It, it, it happens. We've all been there. We've all been, We've there. All been there. Who among us can't help it? <laughs> oh man. God. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. The Bill Press Show for this Friday, May 19th. Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress filling in for Bill Press. Some longtime listeners may remember me from my frequent Bill Press appearances just several months ago. Took a short break, but now couldn't be happier to be back here with. The gang, you know, I, I walked in this morning and I thought all of these things were different. There, there are some changes. The building across the street is much taller and much more complete than it used to sight, be. Huh? The call box, I think, is new. Apparently, it's also broken. It's also broken. I don't know if you guys know, but you have, according to the call box, there's a new directory up above it. The entire state of Texas is on your second floor. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I actually went down there the other day. It's uh, there's a huge Texas flag. Just I, I don't understand what's going on down there. The I walked down there. It's a, like on the second floor. There's just like a wide open field of Longhorn cattle, right here. <laughs> <in the building. laughs> it's amazing what they have here. Did you not see the hitching post out front? That's where people put their horses. And they yeah. serve steaks on the fourth floor. So it's you crazy. Uh, all it's the... crazy. They had to they had to raise the entryways for all the doors because of all the tall hats. All the things yeah. I you don't missed. think about that stuff. Oh my you god! You don't think about that stuff. And then Peter Ogburn here in studio with me. New I glasses agree. he's wearing. New-ish. I mean, new to new to me, new not you. new to you. Yeah. Long time, <laughs> long time viewers and, and listeners of the show. 
By the way, uh, if you don't follow The Bill Press Show on Facebook, please do facebook.com forward slash Bill Press Show. You can also streaming video, which I think you're doing now, youtube.com uh, slash The Bill Press Show. And of course, on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show on Twitter. If you want to interact with the show, interact with me, please use that handle. I'm also on Twitter at Igor Volsky, uh, taking all of your comments. All of your feedback. By the way, uh, yesterday, you know, was a big day in general for America. Uh, you know, we had the press conference where the president, I think, and we'll go through this whole timeline here, but I think, Peter, that his denial, his flat-out denial that he told Jim Comey to stop investigating Michael Flynn, he said no. Uh, all of that will come to to haunt him. But another big thing happened yesterday. Yeah. And that is a grant, a grant, a great, a great new podcast launched called Thinking Cap, a new podcast from the Center for American Progress. Thinking Cap. Thinking Cap. You see what we did there? Like Thinking that. Cap. Like yeah. That. It's all about. I don't see what you did there. Yeah. I need some help. Oh, somebody explain it. Somebody <laughs> explain it to Jamie, please. Thinking Cap, a podcast about the issues and voices shaping the resistance. Each week we break down a story that's driving the news and then hear from the voices who are uh, resisting whatever it is the Trump administration is doing. So if you want to learn about how you can hold the Trump administration accountable, there's no better action you can take than subscribe, rate, review Thinking Cap. And on our first episode, Cory Booker. Uh, we'll play some of that audio later in the show. But let's get into the week that was. Now, I, before coming in, I jumped into my Uber and asked Peter to print out all of the New York Times front pages from this week to, A, remind myself what happened because I really just don't remember so many things have happened, but also to take us on a little journey of where we've been and talk a bit about where it is that we're going. So let's start with Monday. Now here is, can, can people see it if I hold it up like this? Here is the uh, front page from Monday. The big story we thought we were starting the week with was Senate GOP is edging back from president. Hmm. Mm. That, some, was, that was earlier some, this a week. A hint, a hint on Monday that maybe some Republicans are backing away from Trump. And, you know, I remember reading this article and thinking this is kind of overwritten. I mean, they are a little more verbally critical of the president, but they haven't actually done anything to show that he's going to be held accountable for any of his actions. Certainly not when it comes to Russia, but OK, like a solid, solid way to start the week. That's that's Monday. All right. So it's practically Sunday night. Then Tuesday comes along, and we have this headline here. Trump is said to expose allies' secret to Russians. Oh, boy. What? What? Oh, boy. That now, moved quickly, didn't it? Moved very escalated in a day where the meeting between the Russian foreign minister, the Russian ambassador, by the way, both top spies and spy recruiters, ended up in the White House with the president at the request of Vladimir Putin. And apparently the president uh, said a little something, something that he shouldn't have said. And the administration went scrambling. The intelligence community couldn't believe it. They tried to go into damage control. And that's when I think you really saw this week Republicans beginning to crack. 
that opposition they had uh, to breaking with the president began to fade. Now, the support, you know, we've got to break this down a little bit. The support for Trump, I think, is rooted in, in two things. One uh, is their, their, their dream of a real conservative agenda, of getting the tax cuts for the rich they've always wanted, of dismantling Obamacare, of getting rid of financial regulations. I mean, the list is long and you know it well. And the second uh, factor that's driving their decision making here, well, I guess there's three, but the second one is the fear of a primary challenger. The president is still popular with Republicans. About 80 percent of the Republican base supports Trump. So they think if they break with him, they might be in trouble politically. And the third thing, and we're going to get into this later in the show with uh, my colleague Ken Good of the Center for American Progress, where we really break down the Russia story in more detail. But a piece of the the tale here that doesn't really get told is that the Russians didn't just want to influence our presidential election in 2016. They also wanted to influence congressional elections across the country. And so a lot of House Republicans ran campaign ads and made campaign arguments based on the information that Russia, that Russia leaked to WikiLeaks. So they themselves took advantage of Russia's hacking, took advantage of the chaos that Russia caused in our election system to win their own election. So that's another layer here, and I think another factor that plays into their... Um, shall we say, lack of enthusiasm, right, for aggressively going after uh, the president and figuring out if there was, in fact, collusion. Okay, Wednesday. (laughs) Jesus, that's it. On Wednesday, we learn Trump appealed to Comey to hold inquiry into Flynn. That's just the, the top headline here. And the clearest sense we got on Wednesday that maybe, just maybe, Trump obstructed justice uh, by interfering in this investigation. Uh, of course, as we know, obstruction of justice is an impeachable offense. Yep. And then below this headline in the New York Times on Wednesday, we saw secrets that Trump gave Russia are said to come from the Israelis. Mm-hmm. Compromising uh, Israel, compromising Uh, the intelligence they have, and possibly, and that was the critique that we heard again earlier this week, uh, possibly uh, uh, dissuading American allies from from sharing sensitive intelligence with Americans in the future. So that's just Wednesday. And that's really when you saw Republicans, you know, saying how concerned they were, how deeply frustrated they were about the drama that was coming out of the White House. And I said, Peter, that the I'm concerned and worried statements are the new thoughts and prayers. Yeah. yeah. Just, oh, just so concerned. He just gave those secrets away. I'm just, just so concerned. He's just so dramatic. I'm so concerned. So concerned about it. Well, the other thing that's so funny about this to me is, is like... On one day, they go, well, God, if this is true, this is extremely troubling. We're going to have to wait and see what the facts are. And then this stuttering galoot that we have as a president comes out the next day. He's like, yeah, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. 
And so, like, now what? Right? Like, they, they, they just, they were not ready for that. Because it's like, somebody makes the accusation, like, okay, uh, Trump, uh, Trump uh, pissed his pants, right? Yes. yes. And, yeah. there you go. Trump pissed his pants, and then everybody goes, "No, Trump would never piss his pants. He would not. What are you talking about? He would never ever do that." And the next day, Trump goes, "Yeah, I pissed my pants." That's true. <laughs> like, wouldn't put him past them. Uh, like, it's crazy, and it's and like he's making everybody look like a total idiot. I mean, it's clear they don't know how to operate in this kind of environment, in this kind of news cycle, in the way this administration behaves. Of First, putting forward an argument, and then, as you point out, seconds later, or, or really the next day, the president completely undermining anything the White House said. I mean, if I was working for the president, I, the fact that he embarrasses me every single day, it, you see why you will now understand why there are leaks galore, because it's impossible to, to work for this man if you're a staffer. All right, back to our year in review here that we're doing in just a week. Thursday, New York Times front page Thursday. This is just yesterday, folks. We learn special counsel will investigate Russia influence. From all the pressure that has built up in the days before, <laughs> the Justice Department uh, appointed special counsel former FBI Director Robert Mueller, who apparently everyone seems to love, on Capitol Hill. I don't really remember him. I mean, he I don't know why I don't remember him, but he he was FBI director for President Bush, for President Obama and appears you, to be I, a respected respected by both parties. I'll tell you a great Robert Mueller story that I read yesterday and, and and I don't recall where exactly I read it. But in the days after 9/11, like in the immediate days yeah. after 9/11, uh and we had all of these detainees, right? Uh in Guantanamo and not even move on, which has now become like they'll they'll take on these issues for civil rights, no matter who they are. Not even move on would touch these uh, these detainees because it was just too toxic. You know, we just assumed everybody that we rounded yeah. up was guilty. So uh, Robert Mueller was talking to a colleague who had taken on one of these detainees, and they were in a group of a lot of different lawyers, and everybody was just giving this guy endless grief and saying, like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you'd do that. I can't believe you'd do that. And Robert Mueller stopped and said, I propose a toast to this man Aww. who is representing these detainees because that's what every good American should do because if we believe in the system, we should actually have the process, not just skip over parts of it. Mm. And that, I think, is really telling about who he is because – He's a man who cares not only about law and truth and all that, because a lot of these guys claim to, but they have a distorted view of what those things are. But he respects what the process should be. So it sounds like Trump is in trouble. Trump is screwed. This is the last person Donald Trump would want to have looking into him because, uh, like, it, first of all, he's going to come back with something. Whether or not it's on Trump specifically, but, like, a special counsel will always find an indictment. Always. <laughs> no, whether, or not that, whether or not anybody gets convicted or anything comes of it, that's a different story, but they will find an indictment. I don't know if it's going to be on Trump or what, but there will be an indictment. Uh, and if it's not particularly about or, or specifically about Trump, then Democrats are going to have to walk away from this because this is not someone playing partisan uh, politics. This is not someone who's going to do a non-thorough job. This is not someone who's going to rush through it. Whatever we get at the end of the day from Robert Mueller – I think we can say right now, with all confidence, it's going to be the truth. Now, 
In the hours after Mueller was appointed, the White House did issue a statement saying that they were glad that this, in fact, happened and that they were eager to get to the bottom uh, of the of, of of this story, of this investigation, prove that nothing happened uh, and move on. The president yesterday in a press conference, of course, contradicted all of that, as, as he now does, saying that the Russia investigation is a witch hunt. Well, I respect the move, but the entire thing has been a witch hunt, and uh, there is no collusion between certainly myself and my campaign, but I can always speak for myself and the Russians, zero. Asked if he, uh, if he requested of Jim Comey, now the former FBI director, that he stop investigating um, his national security advisor, the president flatly denied those stories from earlier this week. Director Comey was very unpopular with most people. I actually thought when I made that decision, and I also got a very, very strong recommendation, as you know, from uh, the deputy attorney general. Yeah, that story fell apart as well after Rosenstein, in a closed-door briefing with senators, said that he knew that Trump would fire Comey before writing that memo claiming that the underlining reason was the way Comey handled emails. But here's the direct question that Donald Trump received from not the New York Times, but somebody else, but he thought it was the New York Times, asking, did you try to interfere in this investigation? And this, by the way, is what may come back to haunt him uh, as this investigation unfolds in the months ahead. Are we now playing the the where he flatly flatly denies that he had uh, that he interfered that he specifically asked in his office Jim Comey to I think the language was you know can you find a way to let this go or can you see if you can find a way to let this go he said no and then uh, next question moved on very quickly. You know, the president has lied to the American people, I think, on many, 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 how much time do we have? Many occasions. <laughs> this is called stretching. Many occasions. But, um, but I have to say, when he just flatly says no in a public setting like that, in a press conference, uh, to something that might later prove to be, in fact, Yes, to be in fact true, that that I think is going to get him in a lot of trouble. Here's that audio of him denying ever asking for that investigation to end. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back... No. <laughs> Next question. Now, Next question. Yeah. You remember Comey, uh, his reputation, and, and of course we now know from all the stories breaking, is a diligent note-taker. Which, by the way, good life lesson for everybody. <laughs> I actually th thought back uh, to kind of my professional career and all the times that I should have written memos on things that, that happened that would have been useful. And I thought, aha, uh -huh, from this day forward, I will pull a Comey. <laughs> and, write, <laughs> and write it all down. Pull a Comey. Uh, but Comey appears to have many memos, uh, one in particular where in a meeting with the president in which he was pulled aside, everyone else uh, asked to leave the room. 
The president first spoke to him about the leaks and how very upset he was uh, that there were uh, leaks coming out about the investigation, asked Comey if he could just jail those reporters and said that would be a very good thing. And then, of course, made that direct plea um, to drop the investigation. And it comes in the context of, we learned, by the way, uh, in, in today's New York Times, uh, Comey wanted president kept at a distance, that uh, the president, during his first weeks in office, was really trying to court Comey, trying to bring him onto his team, on his side. You remember he had that dinner with Comey where he specifically asked for his loyalty many times. He then made several phone calls um, uh, to the FBI director trying to chit-chat him up, trying to bring him into the inner circle. But Comey wasn't biting. And in the now famous video, uh, in uh, just days after the inauguration, I think maybe two or three days after the inauguration when the president had all of his, um, all of the security uh, representatives uh, in the blue room of the White House, Comey there as well uh, wore a blue suit. Now Comey's a very tall man, six feet eight inches, very very tall. Um, tried to initially not even go to the meeting because he felt uncomfortable being so chummy with the president, but finally attended. He wanted to represent the FBI and stood all the way in the back of that big blue room. He tried to get as far away from the president as possible. Uh, his friend Benjamin Witz, who's the editor of Lawfare, a popular law blog, described um, how Comey was sensitive uh, to showing intimacy with the president and how he really at that on that ceremony during that day tried to hide from the commander in chief. There were a lot of Democrats who kind of blame him for Trump. So he was particularly sensitive to the idea of a sort of show of intimacy or closeness with Trump. Yeah, he's wearing if you watch the video of it, he's wearing a blue blazer and he stands in the part of the room that is as far from Trump as it is physically possible to be and also against blue drapes that are the same color as his... Um, he chose that spot? He chose that spot because it was, uh, you know, like almost like a chameleon, uh, you know, <laughs> camouflage <laughs> against the wall. Now, he should have, you know, really taken this up to the next level, maybe painted his face, maybe worn a wig to really, he, you know, if you look at the video, it's actually quite extraordinary. Trump is standing there, all these men surrounding him, and he says, it was a beautiful inauguration. Inauguration was a success, such a success. Congratulations on keeping me safe. You did so well. You did so well. He calls out a couple of people, and he's ready to wrap up, and he kind of looks looks across the room, and he says in that famous video, Jib, Jib. <laughs> And Comey <laughs> comes over with this look of great discomfort on his face. It's a long not way, happy. not happy. It's a long way to Trump, uh, but you know, in his 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 long legs got him there fast. And uh, according to his friend Benjamin Witz, Comey was thinking as he was walking towards Trump, "There's no way I'm hugging him. There's no way I'm hugging him. Just a handshake." And he's thinking, "I have these long arms. I'll just <laughs> extend my arm, thus not moving my body close to Trump, but just do the handshake." And so, what ends up happening is. Comey extends his hand, Trump meets it halfway, then pulls him in close 
for a hug. Comey resists. Trump then goes into Comey's ear, whispers something. Who knows? Maybe it's, you know, back off Russia. Uh and then Comey walks away. At the time, we thought, what an awkward moment. Now that we know the backstory, it's even more extraordinary. Here's the, first of all, did you know that James Comey is six foot eight? That's what I said, six foot eight. Six foot eight is yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, yeah, the, the awkward, weird thing. Like The thing about Comey is I think he knows, and we're seeing more that comes out, he knows how slippery Trump is. Right. So like when you look at like the note taking and and the the memos and all this stuff, like he was definitely insulating himself from what was coming because Trump is not a president you can trust. I mean, and the other thing that Trump was doing that Comey recognized right away uh, is traditionally and this really changed after J. Edgar Hoover, who was very close too close to three different presidents. In the aftermath of that, FBI directors placed in protocol guidelines for how a president is, inter- is, is supposed to interact with an FBI director. Uh, and generally speaking, they're not supposed to be talking, certainly not about ongoing FBI investigations. The FBI director, as a matter of protocol, doesn't. Um, brief the president on anything that's ongoing unless it raises to a level of the president has to know about it in order to perform the duties of his job. And Comey in particular, you'll remember, very hesitant even during the Obama years, the president who appointed him, uh, of giving the appearance that he was too close to the president. This six-foot-eight FBI director refused to play basketball with President Obama because he thought that that would put forward a perception uh, that he wasn't independent. Um, and, uh, uh, and so when Trump came into office and began calling Comey on a regular basis, not only to chit chat, but of course to make requests of all kind uh, of Comey as they pertain to Russia, as they pertain to his loyalty, his personal loyalty to him. That really bothered Comey. And so he told aides around him and friends around him that the first couple of months of the Trump administration, he worked very hard to rebuild that buffer between himself, the bureau, and the White House. And he thought, uh, I think this was maybe in March or February, he told Benjamin Witz that he has uh, kind of taught them how to behave properly. Little did he know. <laughs> he had not. Um, but, you know, this is the backstory that's coming out now. Uh, this is just some color to the events that we now all, all know about. And, of course, the big question moving forward as this investigation unfolds, is exactly what Peter said of what will Mueller find and, you know, how long will that take? Because after asking for a special counsel for so long, Democrats, progressive groups demanded this. Um, now there's a bit of a pause uh, in this story as the investigation unfolds. And I think Republicans feel like the issue has moved off of the front burner, maybe to the back burner, and it gives them some political space to pursue other priorities, whether it be tax reform, which Paul Ryan said yesterday they are going to get done this year, um, or the health care repeal, which is now moving through uh, moving through the Senate, or at least there's talk now 
in the Senate between groups of senators of how they're going to deal with that. So the agenda moves forward as the Russia story simmers in the background. Can I ask you a question? Because we're going to take a break here. But before we go to break, I want to ask you a question. Your prediction, where will we be in one year? Ooh, that's a tough one. Look, I don't predict anything. I don't even predict elections. I think we're in good shape. We're in <laughs> good shape. shape. We're, gonna we're going to be in good shape. shape. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, good. we certainly hope we're going to be in better shape. Uh, and I certainly hope that the members of Congress who shielded Trump from from really accountability in the first couple of weeks of uh, months of his administration are gonna in a year from now really change their tune and realize that this isn't about one party. This isn't about one president. This isn't about just getting their agenda through. This is about protecting the integrity, the constitutionality, the democracy of this country. And, um, you know, this there's no never going to be a pivot. He's never going to stop. This kind of behavior is going to continue. He leaves for, for a foreign trip, nine day foreign trip starting today. Can you imagine all the stuff he could pull on that trip? Um, and so I certainly hope that the other branch of government, which during the campaign cycle ran on serving as a check on Trump, actually lives up uh to that goal. That's my prediction for you. How's how's that? Pretty it's pretty uh, general. Pretty general. But I don't want to make big predictions. I have I have a bleaker prediction, but I'm not going to get into it. Cuz this is on tape. I don't want you you to use this against me. These predictions I would, First on of me. all, I would never. All right. Quit. Use anything. No, against. never. <laughs> mm, don't know about that. All right, Bill Press show this Friday, May 19th. Quick break. I'm Igor Volsky. Stay with us. He's become more famous than me. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And great new substitute host, right? Look at, this guy. Look at that. Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress back again at the Bill Press Show. We were just looking through the files. Last time I was here was in February. February when it was cold outside. Now it's hot and sticky here in D.C. And I'm, But I'm so happy to be back here. Can I do a quick plug, by the yes. way? Because, you know, we're on Patreon now. Oh, Have you yes. heard about this? I know about Patreon, yes. So uh, if you go to patreon.com slash show, we're putting stuff up there that you can't get on our YouTube page oh. or on the radio show. It's exclue, exclue. to Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're getting out of the studio and doing some stuff. Now, if you don't know how Patreon works, we're asking you to pay for it. $5 right. a month. $5 a month, and we're giving you uh, exclusive video. Bill's going to start writing some stuff oh, just nice. for Patreon. And we're working on a podcast series called The Making of Bernie Sanders. And we had Tad Devine in studio, uh, who was his chief strategist, one of his chief yeah. strategists. And he talked all about Iowa. We put a little sneak preview up on Patreon. If you go up there and join, you'll be able to hear it. Nice. So Patreon. Patreon.com. So you're, you, when you sign up, you become a, a patron, a patron of the show. Of the show, yeah. Well, very nice. Yeah. We're taking the your making money. Of we're taking your money, but we're we're gonna give you something really cool in return. There are all there are all kinds of tiers, right? Like five dollars, you get the the all this content that we're putting out. Ten dollars a month, you can be a part of our exclusive live streams that we're doing. Oh, that's what people sign up for. Uh, there is another tier where we will just follow you on social media. 
Oh, should I, I should start that? That's a good. You, how much is that for the following on the social? How much? Like three bucks. Oh. Do you know? Do you know what our next podcast project is going to be? What's that? The making of Igor Volsky. Oh, the of Igor well, Volsky. that's a spoiler and, alert. Uh, Bill Press. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, that's you know. that's an electrifying show. Yeah, check, check the tapes, folks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll give that one away for free, though. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on, moving on. In all the news uh, that's been happening this week, uh, and certainly yesterday with Trump's press conference, the special counsel, everyone reacting to it. What uh, was maybe lost uh, certainly when I was prepping for the show yesterday night, I had to remind myself that Roger Ailes died. It happened, announced uh, Thursday morning, yesterday, on Fox News. Here is anchor, uh, the douchey, whatever his name is, Steve Ducey. Uh, this is a Fox News alert. The Roger Ailes, uh, one of the founders of the Fox News channel, has died. Ailes, who uh, founded uh, Fox News, really had a vision that conservative voices, strong, aggressive, conservative ideology would pull in viewers who felt, I don't know, he said, left behind by CNN, CNBC, and uh, what was the predecessor to MSNBC, America's talking, uh, and uh, launched the Fox News channel using Rupert Murdoch's money. And within five years, really, uh, created a powerhouse surpassing both CNN uh, and MSNBC as the most watched cable news, gave us all kinds of personalities, cable news personalities who are now household names from Bill O'Reilly to Sean Hannity, uh, Megyn Kelly, uh, and many, many more. And joining us now in studio is Pam Vogel. She's the research fellow at Media Matters for America. Follow her on Twitter at Pamela under dash Vogel and of course online at mediamatters.org. Pam, are you charging people to follow you, to, for you to follow them? Are you part of this program? I don't know. I think I should get in on that. Yeah, this that sounds like pretty a really good. Smart, a smart thing to get into the bottom line, you know? Uh, I'll think about it. Okay. I'll get back to you. Smart. Tell me, this, this is the way it's going. Where we're going now. You just Venmo me. It's fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, Pam, let's talk a bit about uh, the legacy of Roger Ailes, 20 years at Fox News, and the reaction to his death. He was 77. Uh, he died, I think, from complications of a fall he had, um, so died uh, of, of natural causes, of course, after... Uh, being disgraced uh, and forced to uh, forced out of Fox News, really, uh, allegations coming forward from many, many women uh, at Fox News, most famously Gretchen Carlson, uh, of sexual uh, assault um, and sexual harassment uh, in, in the workplace and really just brazen, disgusting uh, allegations of him offering to pay anchors more money if they would uh, sleep with him whenever he wanted, uh, of harassing the Fox News personalities there on air. In fact, uh, you know, I've uh, had the pleasure of uh, of, of going uh, to New York uh, and, and being in the Fox News studios there. And I, I don't know if, if you've had the same experience, but it is shocking when you enter that building because all of the women are dressed in cocktail dresses, very, very short cocktail dresses. Mm. It doesn't matter if they're on air, 
It doesn't matter if they're doing makeup. It doesn't matter if they're just production assistants. They're all dressed like you know the Playboy bunnies uh, used to used to dress at the old Playboy clubs. And then the men just look like they rolled out of bed. Mm. Um, I mean, literally. I mean, Hannity came in and he like had like some kind of garbage bag on himself. And then that's be- so unprofessional <laughs> for them to show up looking like they just rolled out of bed. And then, um, <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> move back, move back. Yeah, get out of the shot. Uh, you're crowding us out here. Uh, you know, so uh, when I heard the accusations when they first came out, it did not surprise me given what the culture looked like to mm-hmm. me um, in that New York studio. But let's pull back a little bit and talk about the impact that Ailes had on the news industry in general. Yeah, I think, well, I think what's really important is to recognize that he has this dual legacy. He has a personal legacy that we were just discussing a little bit that's, you know, riddled with the pain that he caused others. Um, And we also have a professional legacy. I think it's absolutely undeniable that he had an indelible impact on the way that politics and media interact with one another, the way that people think about news as entertainment, um, the way that people ascribe emotion to their news now. Um, and the way that we interact with the truth, frankly, um, you know, we, we see echoes of this that are so far removed from Roger Ailes, but are clearly something that, you know, stem from his his impression and his imprint on the media landscape and on political media in particular. Um, and there would be no Fox News without Roger Ailes. There would also probably be no Trump without Roger. Ailes. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without I mean, a doubt. When Trump was first, you know, rising to the national political scene by going after our president about his birth certificate um, and launching this sort of like racist campaign against the president, who did he call? He called Fox. He called into Fox. Um, and and that, he used to call into Fox weekly yeah. uh, ahead of his presidential run. Like, the, just, just to drive this point home, right, like this morning, Pre- Trump is leaving to go on this foreign trip. This morning, Fox News, big story. The big story. They had Dinesh D'Souza, who is a criminal, <laughs> on TV to talk about Obama's apology tour from 2009. So amid, you gotta give the comparison. Amid, That's right. Yeah, like you got it's. It's What's like the comparison. Point? Yeah, exactly. It can't just be that Trump is a mess and his presidency is falling apart, and this foreign trip is going to be another disaster. It's going to be like, well, Obama did this, and we didn't like that either, and that is the lasting. Uh, legacy of of Roger Ailes, and it, it's something that like I struggle with as someone who enjoys broadcasting. I'm just like a student of oh, you like radio this? and TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have been since <laughs> I was a kid. Like I love media. I'm just like a media nerd, and it's hard to say. Like, look, Roger Ailes, very, very, very talented guy, horrible human being. Horrible human being. Like, Rush Limbaugh used to be a very talented broadcaster. Sean Hannity used to be a very talented broadcaster. I think they all sort of have been resting on their laurels for a long time and cash and checks and not really putting in much effort. But, like, there was a time that I could say they are talented at what they do. Roger Ailes, if his goal was to get eyeballs on the on his TV channel, he knew what he was doing. That's the dream, by the way, just cashing the checks. I, I strive for that. But... um. One of the, a lot of the actual conversation that we heard in the aftermath of Ailes' death is the sense that when he first launched the channel, what he saw was an America divided. And he tapped into it, exploited those divisions, and 
in a way that nobody really had before turned Americans against Americans. And that paved the way, Pam, as you say, uh, really cemented and established a strong foundation for the campaigns, the political campaigns that we saw in certainly George W. Bush, that we saw with Donald Trump. And to some extent, Mitt Romney, people forget mm -hmm. the kind of campaign Mitt Romney ran against uh, President Obama, which ha was filled with dog whistles about Obama uh, being not American, un-American, being the mm -hmm. other. Uh, very, you know, and of course, Romney himself flew down to a photo op with Donald Trump uh, to, to receive his endorsement. And all of that... Uh, came from from Roger Ailes, from the kind of network he established. He had a famous quote about how news and entertainment need to be separate, but you need to get as close to the line as mm -hmm. you can and maybe even put your toe on it. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what the network continues to do to this day. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that is really the theme of Roger Ailes' life is that he exploits fear. He stokes fear in others and he exploits it to his own advantage. He traded the he traded a unified not that our country was unified and then Fox came and destroyed it, but like that's an oversimplification obviously. But he for ratings, he pitted people against one another, right? And yeah. he he preyed on a community of people who maybe already had existing bigotries, and he stoked those and he confirmed them um, with the way that he designs his programming, designed his programming. it, uh, And that translated off screen too. That translated into the way that he ran Fox as, a, as an office, as a network, as a workplace. Um, it translated into his personal life. He thrives in situations where people feel angry or afraid. I, I want to talk uh, a bit about what Fox News has become today in the era of Trump. But before we get there, you know, I agree we're not, we've never been truly unified. But I think it's important to realize that the way the Republicans treated Obama for eight years was really unprecedented. The Absolutely. fact that anything Obama said or proposed was immediately met with a wall of opposition, mm -hmm. I think... Obviously, a calculation that was made by the leaders of the Republican Party that they were going to say no, 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 no in order to defeat the president. Mm -hmm. But they were able to do that because they had a base that favored that kind of ideological approach versus actually working together and getting things done. Uh -huh. And the person who built up that base for them, that created a sense of uh, if a sense for lawmakers that if they didn't fall in line with just opposing everything Obama did, mm -hmm. that they would be primaried, came from the work of Roger Ailes. Absolutely. You have a base that's watching Fox News every night to listen to Hannity make fun of the president for using Grey Poupon. The latte salute. We were we were <laughs> revisiting some of these in the office Nothing recently. What yeah. were the first 100 days under Obama like at Fox versus what are these first? What mm. have these first 100 days been? And it's really it. I I can't overstate the stark contrast. Yeah, the contrast is stark in how Fox uh, first began. When did it launch? Ninety six. Ninety six. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so Hannity got there in 97, and that's uh, <laughs> it's there, it's there from the beginning. Um, but the, the evolution of even people like Sean Hannity, who's, is he the top-rated host now or the second-rated top? I don't know where Things his... Things are a little weird right now because of the shifts in lineup. Yeah. Um, but he's certainly the shilliest. <laughs> there you go. Um, and yeah, he has a very loyal, he has a very loyal following. He's a really charming guy. Um, I mean, he, the, from what I understand from like media reporters and the, what we've heard about the inside of Fox and how it works, Hannity is very well liked. Um, he has a huge like support network within the system and, um, and on air, he has a ton of really loyal viewers and he's also very loyal to Trump. Yeah, very loyal to Trump, but it's not how he started. You know, I became kind of came into my political awareness by listening to Sean Hannity on the radio. He also has a radio show um, during the early Bush years, and he was a conservative then, but he wasn't the kind of conspiracy peddling guy that we now see on our screens at 10 p.m. every night. Um, he also had a show on Fox called Hannity and Combs with now the late Alan Combs, where they debated the issues. And yes, mm -hmm. Hannity took the conservative side, but they did give equal time to Alan Combs. There's that famous anecdote of people standing with a stopwatch and timing how much time Sean <laughs> had and how much time Alan had. But when that show ended mm -hmm. um, and Hannity got his own show, I think initially it was called Hannity's America. And now it's just called Hannity. Uh the tone changed. Uh, mm -hmm. That, of course, happened in the Obama uh, years. The network in general moved more to the right. Um, and all the way through the Trump campaign, where Trump famously was at war with Fox. Mm -hmm. Talk a bit about that <laughs> and then how it led into how the network now covers the president. Well, he was at war with Fox. I'm not entirely, I don't really believe, I don't buy it. I never really did. Um, he was off, off, you know, out of sight, out of mind. He was talking to Ailes the whole time anyway. Um, it was really, in my opinion, a Megyn Kelly-focused thing, and now we've seen her move on. And really tellingly, we've also not heard from Megyn Kelly since Ailes What's passing. happening to her, by the way? Is she? She's at NBC She's now. at NBC. Um, she's going to have a Sunday program. It's like a news magazine program is what they're calling it. And then she's also going to have a morning spot soon. Um, and that'll on be today? Because I, I saw some gossip magazines in mm -hmm. the stores of grocery mm -hmm. And they were saying that she was replacing Matt Lauer, but mm -hmm. I think that's just a rumor because I would be shocked yeah. if that was the case. I mean, what we do know is that she is pretty openly gunning for a way to recast her image. Yeah. She's moving away from Fox on purpose. Um, I There are probably a number of reasons why she did that, partly because she also had um, some really awful harassment experiences with, with Ailes. But she is, yeah, she's attempting to kind of recast herself as... Um, a friendlier face that can be successful beyond Fox. We'll see how that goes. I'm interested to tune in soon. Um, but yeah, she, Megyn Kelly is a fascinating person. Well, it feels <laughs> like she left just in time mm -hmm. because since Trump was elected, the network has become a megaphone of mm -hmm. administration talking points in a way that I have, you know, and I've watched Fox for a long time. Now I can barely turn it on. It has become unwatchable for all but the most dedicated Trump supporters in the sense that these 
these these newscasters, these reporters are living in an alternative universe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think we see a lot of that in Hannity's program, especially. Um, the reality is that because of because of the the rise of social media and uh, conspiracy theories that can move through the ecosystem um, in that way through, you know, Reddit and message boards like 4chan and 8chan and Twitter and Gab, which is another Twitter like place that really? a lot of a lot of so-called alt-right people who I think are oh. now calling themselves something else. But whatever. It's, it, those, Not that's for who me. They are. Not you said very excited um, for like yeah. half a second. No, no, no. They, <laughs> they go me. on Gab because Gab is uh, is like a Twitter that doesn't have censorship. Oh. So, yeah, it's really no not good. a fun place. We go on there occasionally just to see what's popping off, and it's not a lot. Um, <laughs> it's just a lot of frog emojis right now. There's not, oh, there's no. not a whole lot going on. Run away. Um, Love a good but, frog emoji. But, yeah. you know, between that and, like, the, the, the Donald Reddit, subreddit, and uh, those sorts of online communities are thriving a little more. It used to be that a conspiracy theory or something that was totally not based in fact like that had to – you know, circulate through the right-wing blogosphere for a really long time, and then occasionally it broke into Fox, and that was the only way that people heard about it. That was the only way that my, you know, conservative dad heard about it, as if it made it to Fox. Now that is no longer the case, and Fox is kind of following instead of leading in this way. Mm. Um, And so I think we're seeing, that's part of why we see that shift to Hannity is openly promoting conspiracy theories on his show now. Um, He's still sticking by the really, you know, heinous and disgusting conspiracy theory around this DNC staffer, Seth Rich, who was murdered in a botched robbery last summer. Um, That is something that we've seen on Fox for a while. We've seen them, um, you know, continue to politicize Benghazi for years and years and years. Um, We've seen them talk about, you know, death and conspiracy theories going way back. But um, the fact that it's now happening consistently at 10 p.m., that Hannity is not willing to acknowledge facts. He's not willing to take anything back. He's not willing to respect a family that is in mourning, um, that's a shift to me. That shows a, a catering to a base that's so far removed from reality, um, a base that was created by Fox but now has kind of gotten ahead of them. And it's still the top-rated cable news network, mm-hmm. surpassing both CNN and MSNBC oh, combined. Yeah. Yeah. Is that still the case? I believe so, and it's because emotion, emotion plays well. Emotion gets ratings, um, you know, it's why I try to really play it up here. Yeah. By the way, guys, yeah. you're welcome. Right. Thank you. Pushing, we noticed. Pushing stories that make people feel scared to be in their communities, um, those are the kinds of things you feel like you have to tune into. And they've also, this is another signature Ailes thing. He's created a situation where if you don't agree with something, it used to be, in the earlier days of Fox, it was biased. Now it's fake. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So a whole, a whole segment, not all, of course, of tuning in because... They don't believe they can get the facts anywhere else. They don't believe anybody else is telling them the truth. And clearly, from a business standpoint, it appears to be a deliberate decision mm-hmm. to cater to, I mean, I want to call it a niche audience. I mean, relatively to the size of America, it's a niche audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but a niche audience that appears that is profitable for them and profitable and works for their advertisers. Um, uh do this is also I think part of the reason why there's and I don't I'm sure you 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 have had these conversations with people who uh think that you know Trump is like 3 minutes away from being impeached and he's going to be forced out to me 
when you think when you play that out, and I think this is where the Fox base also connects. If Trump is impeached, it's not like he's going to go away and go to his New York Trump Tower and just Mm -hmm. work on his business like, you know, Richard Nixon kind of stayed out of public view after he he was forced to resign. Trump is a vindictive guy. If he's impeached, he's going to be out there campaigning against every single Republican, and he's going to have the support of the Fox News base and the base that Fox News cultivated um, blowing wind into his sails. And so he's going to be a huge political threat to Republicans. Uh, which is why there's not going to be, in my about, I don't know if you disagree with this, Peter, there's not going to be like a rush for them to impeach him precisely mm-hmm. because Roger Ailes and Fox News have built up an audience yeah. that would ne- that aren't going to go away overnight, yep. Trump or no Trump. Mm-hmm. So this, this kind of... Um, uh, this uh, this kind of audience, this notion of everything is fake if you don't uh, agree with it, all of the conspiracy theories, none of it is going away. Trump or no Trump, it's going to be around in the next election and the election after that. And that's because of Roger Ailes. Pam Vogel, thank you so much. Research fellow at Media Matters for America on Twitter at Pamela under dash Vogel. Follow her there online, of course, at MediaMatters.org. I'm Igor Volsky. We'll be back right after this. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Everything and then some. We got it all here. If you want to fight Trump, you got to listen to The Bill Press Show. It's as easy as that. Good morning. I'm Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress, filling in for Bill Press on this Friday, May 19th, 2017. Now, if you've been listening to the show all morning, I have printed out these New York Times front pages just for us to be able to understand everything that's happened this week. There's literally a bombshell on every single front page, and it all has to do with Russia. Uh, We're going to talk about it in excruciating detail, review it all with my great colleague, Ken Good. He's a senior fellow with the National Security Team at the Center for American Progress. By the way, a great follow on Twitter, at Ken Good. Follow him now if you want to keep up with all the latest. Something happens with Russia. You want to know what the what the take is, what to think about it? Ken Good. Follow him. We'll get to Ken in just a moment. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Thailand where there is a major problem with a monkey. Oh, no. Yeah. Here's the, here's the problem. 
Wild monkeys roam free in many parts of Thailand, and so the tourists who are showing up are feeding these monkeys. Never do that. Junk That's food and soda, and one monkey in particular, they're calling him Uncle Fat. Hell yeah. Oh. Uncle Fat. The monkey to so be Jamie to, aspires to apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncle Fat. So just to give you uh, some perspective, yeah, he's actually me. a macaque monkey, uh, and they typically wear weigh twenty pounds. Uncle Fat weighs sixty pounds. He's oh. a very large monkey. Some might even call him a chunky. Oh, 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 I just want to oh. say, by the way, go to AP's website and watch the video. You of gotta watch the video, Fat Uncle. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's like that belly is like it hangs. He's like, got it's this gigantic part of his body belly. because these tourists keep feeding him uh, junk food and sodas. It's so tourists it, really are the worst. Well, here's the thing: wildlife officials have stepped in. They have put him on a new diet. <laughs> they are giving him a vegetarian diet. It's going to help him lose his weight because he is a very, very, very fat monkey. Oh, God. Very, very oh, my fat. goodness. Poor guy. I feel bad about that. Whatever. He needs some Weight Watchers you think monkey that's what, edition. You think that'll do it? That'll do it. That'll help. <laughs> uh, okay, so here is uh, a little note because Donald Trump is going on his first big trip today. Uh, I'm going to read. Ken's the, really excited. I am bracing for it's it. It's going to be crazy. Here is the opening line for the AP story about the Trump's uh, first trip abroad. Quote, when President Donald Trump sits down for dinner in Saudi Arabia, caterers have ensured that his favorite meal, steak with a side of ketchup, oh. will be offered alongside the traditional local cuisine. Oh, just so wrong. So the local cuisine of Saudi Arabia will be available. Also, why can you not just eat the local cuisine? Like, you're visiting another country, I, representing our country. You have to have your disgusting steak and ketchup. I mean, you probably eat it every day. You can't, on a foreign trip, eat something different? I have two kids. One of them is a relatively picky eater. And when we go to somebody else's house, it's like, Eat, the, eat that food. Yeah. That's the food that you're offering. Yeah. You're going to be polite. You're going to be nice. You're going to eat the food. We're not going to bring you McDonald's to somebody's house. Oh, is that what you feed them, McDonald's? No, I don't feed my mm-hmm. children. <laughs> well, I, I assume there's a McDonald's in Saudi Arabia, right? Has to that be. definitely. But is there a KFC? That's his second favorite meal. Mm. He's it's a long gonna, trip. He's going to go bang, bang. He's going to do a bang, bang <laughs> at McDonald's KFC uh. in Saudi Arabia. The ultimate bang, uh. bang. Do you guys know about the bang, bang? No. Probably? You know about the bang, no, bang? No, what's the bang, bang? What's the bang, bang? It, you go you go to one restaurant, you eat a bunch of food, and then you go to another restaurant of a different sort of different uh, cuisine. Different cuisine, eat another one. Bang, bang. <laughs> Shout out to Louis. Is C. that K. what the, Louis is that what, what the Louis fat C. monkey does? He does a bang Clearly, bang. He does yeah, a yeah, bang yeah. bang. He goes bang with bang. the tourists. He goes bang bang. Unbelievable. <laughs> On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. That's right. Really, anywhere you are, we're right there with you. Igor Volsky filling in for Bill Press on this Friday, May 19th, 2017. We are about to do a deep dive, my friends, into everything that happened around Russia this super crazy week. And yes, it's Friday. It's finally Friday. 
how how very nice that um, that doesn't mean anything at all because the president is about to leave on a foreign trip where I'm sure we'll have all kinds of stories and anecdotes that are going to turn our hairs collectively gray. Ken Good here in the studio with me. He's senior fellow with the National Security Team at the Center for American Progress. My, my great colleague. Follow him on Twitter at Ken Good and, of course, online at AmericanProgress.org. Now, Ken, I have all of the front pages of the New York Times for the last week. I'm going to quickly read all of the key headlines that are going to provide the timeline for our conversation here today. Monday, Senate GOP is edging back from President. Hmm. Tuesday, Trump is set to expose ally secrets to Russians. What? Wednesday, Trump appealed to Comey to hold inquiry into aid. Oh, no. Thursday, special counsel will investigate Russia influence. And now today, Friday, Trump defined deems inquiry a witch hunt. And then Comey wanted president kept at a distance. Ooh, felt like a year crammed into a week. How are you feeling, Ken? My head is spinning. Uh, I'm just thankful that the last 12 hours hasn't been quite <laughs> as crazy as the previous I 72. Mean, Ken has been up for the last 100 yeah. hours. so he. Yeah. I did freak out last night. I talked about this earlier. I got that yeah. push notification oh, yes. from the New York oh, Times. I was no. like, oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just to let me know <laughs> that a Basquiat painting had sold. Okay, all right. That's outrageous. But like, that's so not outrageous. I remember. Do you remember, Peter? We once, uh, immediately after the election, you and I were talking and you said to me that the standard you were going to apply to this administration was going to be, can we survive this? Yeah. Like something yeah. crazy happens. You, you wouldn't freak out about it because so many crazy things were happening. You were thinking, can we survive this? It feels to me that yeah. after the events of this week, it really triggered yeah. that question for you. Yeah. Can we survive a president who divulges secrets to the Russians, who... Uh, obstructs FBI investigations, who fires, you know, an FBI director because he doesn't like that he's investigating his associates. Can our democracy survive this? I mean, now it feels like the special counsel is there. There's maybe a grown up in the room. This guy, Robert Mueller, former FBI director, seems like a serious player. Um, at least, do you feel better, Ken, at now sitting here on Friday that things are in good hands? <laughs> I feel better that Mueller's on the job, but this has been just an insane period. We are lurching from crisis to crisis at speeds at which we can't even contemplate one thing happening before the yeah. next one does. That's completely unsustainable. And what is remarkable about this is it's entirely self-inflicted. These are all things that the Trump administration is doing to itself. What happens when we have an actual crisis, something that's beyond the control of this administration? A foreign crisis uh, erupts. We saw yesterday in what under normal circumstances would be an incredibly hot story. The Chinese were buzzing our aircraft in the South China Sea. Oh, really? Yeah. Almost anybody Uh, even knows about it, right? I missed that. Yeah. And, you know, what happens? You know, if you look back at the history of new administrations over the course of the last two decades, pretty much in the first six months, the Chinese test us always. Each time we had the Hainan incident during the Bush administration. There were a couple things during the Mm. Obama administration. When is that going to come for the Trump administration? And is anybody even going to notice? Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in the midst of all the insanity and the crazy that they're doing to themselves, how are they going to deal with something that's going on externally? Well, let's just break down quickly what the special counsel now coming onto the case means for this story. And as you saw, there was also this sense now from Republicans that 
Now that there's a special counsel in place, they don't have to continue their investigations because the special counsel is on it. Talk about the authority of this counsel, the kinds of things he can investigate, what he can pursue, and then how that is going to uh, work together with the ongoing congressional and FBI investigations into Russia. So it's important for us to delineate between the criminal investigation. That will be what the special counsel looks at. And the investigations that Congress is doing, which are not about violations of the law per se, but about trying to uncover what happened in the 2016 election, what the Russians did, whether the Trump administration participated in a Trump campaign, participated in that or not, could be part of that. But it isn't really the focus. The special counsel, the special prosecutor, is going to be looking at what laws were violated, potentially violated, by Trump, the Trump campaign and any Americans that perhaps colluded with the Russians during the 2016 hack. So that is what uh, w the special counsel is going to be looking at. He has been given a very broad grant of authority by the Justice Department. Now, his authority sits just outside of the political chain of command within DOJ. So he has the independence to pursue the case wherever he thinks it leads. He can decide on his own whether to pursue criminal charges within the scope of his authority and actually prosecute those cases in court. He does not have to get any additional authority from DOJ to do that. He also has the ability to go ask the deputy attorney general to expand the scope of his authority if he believes it's warranted. Now, that decision has to be approved, but it seems very likely, given the, the manner in which Mueller was appointed, that the, D, the DAG, the deputy attorney general, would give him that authority. So what we've got now is a career prosecutor, a 12-year veteran at the head of the FBI, taking over a case that has already been investigated for about nine months and really shifted into overdrive with the kind of independence and backing that allows him to follow the facts wherever they lead and prosecute cases that he deems fit. And this finally came about after a crazy week of revelation uh, on Russia. And it felt like Republicans, particularly after the Comey memo surfaced or, or what was reported about the Comey memo surfaced, it became untenable for Republicans to just continue repeating that there are these ongoing investigations they need to continue. Clearly, if the president is interfering with these investigations, there needed to be someone who's independent. Was that their sense? Is that why this happened so quickly? Well, gosh, I mean, I don't know. Certainly, if you hear uh, Republicans talk about the appointment of Mueller and, and how they welcomed it, you would get the sense that they were calling for it. But a grand total of two Republican elected <laughs> officials. Adam actually, right? And who else? And uh, 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 Kevin um, Knight um, okay. in mm -hmm. Cal yep, California, Knight, yep. two, uh, two relatively uh, uh, vulnerable Republicans in swing districts um, had been calling for it. But you would have gotten the sense that this is something that the Republicans were demanding of the <laughs> Justice Department, given how, well, how strongly they welcomed it. But that was not the case. What we saw over the course of this week was just a, an unbelievable acceleration of what we know or what we think could be or could, could have happened and could make the president vulnerable. Up until Tuesday, you know, the, the sense was this was going to be a long and difficult investigation into whether or not the Trump campaign and potentially Trump himself had some kind of relationship with the Russians during the campaign that 
implicated them in the Russian intelligence operation to sway the election. That would have been very hard to look into and prove and still and remains very difficult to look into and prove. It would take a long time with serious investigators, lots of subpoenas, that kind of thing. Then all of a sudden, Tuesday night, we have dramatic evidence that appears to show the president of the United States engaging in the kind of acts that lead directly to impeachment proceedings, telling the FBI director to shut down an investigation into his associates. That is exactly the kind of thing that uh, was in the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon, obstruction of justice. Yeah. And so we fast forwarded seemingly all the way to the end of the investigation in a span of about two hours. <laughs> and, and so the trying to wrap our heads around uh, how it changed the playing field so quickly. Uh, and now I think actually one of the reasons why the Republicans have said we welcome Bob Mueller is that it does alleviate the immediate pressure on them to deal with that question. Did Donald Trump obstruct justice when he asked Comey to shut down the investigation. Now, Lindsey Graham, uh, in my mind, had the best reaction to the special counsel. He praised Mueller, said that Mueller is going to do a good job, but also said that uh, now the investigation could move on uh, to Hillary Clinton. Here is uh, here is Lindsey Graham responding to news of the special counsel. Time will tell where we go, but there's a new front opening here. I have reason to believe uh, that there are emails between uh, Clinton campaign officials, uh, Democratic operatives to the Department of Justice uh, regarding the Clinton email investigation that happened uh, <laughs> uh, on Obama's watch. Couldn't help I have reason that those emails exist. Oh, yeah. And now, and it's back. Oh, we're never, we, it's never going away. Never going away. Now, uh, Ken, there are a couple of other pieces of news that have, uh, again, as you say, would have been huge news in any other week but this. But let's go through them very quickly. The first one is Michael Flynn, who we learned as National Security Advisor vetoed an anti-ISIS operation that Turkey opposed while he was being secretly paid by Turkey, payments he never disclosed to the White House and is partly why he's now under investigation? It is unbelievable. I mean, that is such an earth-shattering revelation. And, and the timeline here is critical. Uh, shortly after the election, uh, Flynn was informed by the Justice Department that he was being investigated for his lobbying practices and failing to disclose that he was acting on behalf of a foreign country. Essentially, he was an unregistered agent of a foreign power. He told the Trump transition that in, Jan in early January. Guys, that he this was, might be a problem. I want you to know, might be a problem. Under criminal investigation for being an unregistered agent of a foreign power. <laughs> Just wrap your head around that for a second. <laughs> then what happened is that as the Obama administration was nearing its close, they had concluded that the best way to move on the capital of the Islamic State, Raqqa, was to use the Syrian Kurdish forces, the best fighting force we have right now on the ground in, uh, in Syria, as the vehicle to be the, the forward tip of the spear against ISIS in Raqqa. And Flynn vetoed that. He said no. At the time, the Obama administration did not know that Flynn was being paid by the Turks. The Turks do not want 
the the Syrian Kurds or any Kurds to gain ground in Syria. It is they, they have a long running conflict with their own Kurdish population, and of course don't want a a, uh, a stronger Kurdish army in Syria. Now, that in and of itself is incredible. Then we learn after Flynn got fired, the Trump administration approved the plan. So the the timeline is. Flynn investigated for being an unregistered agent of a foreign power, Turkey. He tells the, the Trump administration. The Trump administration does nothing about Meh. it. The Trump transition <laughs> is like, eh, that's fine. We're going to have an unregistered agent of a foreign power as our national security advisor. What could go wrong? He's making a decision that clearly benefits his foreign power, Turkey, while he was had not disclosed this to anyone else other than the Trump transition. The Obama administration takes his word. They hold and they delay this operation four months before they, they, they do it. Flynn's fired. The national security bureaucracy that's been put in place by the Trump administration then does approve the plan, and that's happening now. Just unbelievable. By the way, you know, we talk a lot on that note about, you know, Republicans are gearing up for President Pence. They're, like, ready for President Pence. I really think that at, before Trump goes down, Pence goes down. Because you talk about all this stuff that happened. This was during the transition who is in charge of the transition? Oh, Mike Pence. Yes. Yeah. I really honestly think that in a year, I asked you earlier, what's your, you where did, are we going to be in a year? You know where we're going to be in a year? We're going to be talking about President Paul Ryan. Oh. I really Peter, honestly. come on now. I really believe that. <laughs> it's like the most I'm conventional <laughs> wisdom prediction <laughs> I really anyone honest, has ever heard. No, I, 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 Paul Ryan. Really? Well, Pence is going to go. Trump is because he's go. been such an effective speaker. Well, he's the, that he's the, the Republican he, base is going to be like, yes. I'm just talking about the line, line of, of succession. succession. I'm just talking about. I, I'm, I, look, I don't think that Paul Ryan is a lovable guy to, to no uh, sir to to, 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 <laughs> to conservative voters. But I think Pence goes, Trump goes. They're going to have Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan managed to stay above this, even though he carried water for it. He didn't get involved in it. I'm going to use this there are any more your, tapes. Unless yeah. there are more tapes. Yeah. Ken, do you agree with this prediction? No. Thank That's you. Fine. Thank you. That's fine. I predicted Trump. I said Trump was going to win Did the you? primary. Yeah, absolutely. I don't remember that. Did you really? Well, we haven't had you on in so long. Oh. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> the other news here, uh, Ken, that you're going to have to help me out with, because, again, I only saw the headline and was like, but there's all this other stuff happening, is... Uh, reports that I think I have it here somewhere that the uh, Trump uh, officials or associates had undisclosed previously undisclosed contacts with Russia. I think 18 contacts with Russia. That's number one. The second one is news that Russia helped finance uh, a Trump property somewhere. Yeah. OK, so those two stories. Let's take the, the Trump property because we can just do that one quickly. This was a, a, a hotel uh, condo building in Toronto. This is how he gets away with saying, I don't have any Trump. I don't have any Russian business. He the, his business model is he licenses his name to a developer who then goes about building the project. And Trump gets the name on the building and manages the 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 building and takes the fees from that. What happened in this particular case is Trump's partner in this operation was failing, the building was not gonna be built, and then in comes a rescue loan of $300 million from the Russian state, state bank. And boom, the project gets built, and Trump gets his name on it, they're, they're managing the thing. But and Trump because it, say, goes it goes to the developer and not Trump, and not Trump they the... can say, oh, I don't have any business ties to Russia. This bank 
is on the U.S. sanctions list. Mm. It is also the the head of that bank is also one of the Russians that met with Jared Kushner during oh, the transition. That's right. So I'm sure I'm yeah. sure this is all above board. There's nothing to Complete see here. Coincidence. It's just you know, guys, come on. I mean, you know, we're 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 grasping at straws there to try and see if there's anything wrong going wrong with that one. Now, what was the first one that you the uh, Michael? The Flynn, uh, yeah, Flynn. The contacts. The contacts. Yeah. So here's the here's the deal with that. Uh, we got a story out late. Of course, uh, <laughs> Wednesday night. Uh, saying, Ken, by the way, sleeps with his phone like yeah, this now. Yeah. Did you know this? <laughs> just like whatever, just uh, feel it's vibrations. Yeah, uh, that uh, there were at least 18 direct contacts between senior Trump campaign officials and Russian government and intelligence operatives during the campaign. Okay. Now, let's be clear. I had a lot of friends on the Clinton campaign that we had engaged in a lot of conversations. I was an outside national security advisor talking about messaging and substance on things like that. I, I maybe talked to them two or three times and we were friends, <laughs> <laughs> right? We were friends. <laughs> so this notion that it's just normal to have 18 contacts with Russian intelligence and, and Russian government figures is just insane during the campaign. And, and the important thing here is one of the questions that people have been asking over the last several days is why is Trump going to such incredible lengths to protect Michael Flynn? Yeah. What does Michael Flynn know? And the reason they're asking that is because he, Trump met Flynn in like December of 2015. Yeah. It's not like they have this lifelong, lifelong yeah. relationship. And we hear all the time about Trump's loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. He discards people that aren't related to him like candy. I mean, he just throws them over the edge. I mean, he fired two of his campaign managers during the campaign. It's not like he doesn't discard people when they become when they stop becoming useful to him. So this notion that he has this incredible bond with Mike Flynn and he's just going to go protect him is ridiculous. And if you trace the story back, one of the reasons that this 18 contact story is, is important is because a lot of people, if we go to a different story about when Flynn was talking with the Russian ambassador about the sanctions during the transition, mm -hmm. the thing that blew up yep. and got him in trouble, a lot of people were wondering, how is it possible that Mike Flynn acted on his own to call the Russian ambassador five times on the day that sanctions were imposed? But but dialed him. Yeah, think, yeah. And, and this notion that as the top national security figure on the transition, that he would make these kinds of calls entirely on his own without reporting back to anybody in the transition, without doing it with Trump's uh, blessing or even knowledge. And th this just seemed implausible. But if you trace back now to this story that there have been long contacts with Russian government officials throughout the campaign and into the transition, you begin to see what could have transpired. And this is a very easy line to trace, that Flynn had been engaged in a back-channel communication with Kislyak and other senior Russian government officials from the summer of 2016 through the time he was national security advisor. And that not only did Trump know about it, but he instructed him to do it. And that could be what Michael Flynn knows. And, and that's the question. Uh, the question for, to that is what kind of evidence do we have to substantiate that theory? And I suppose that's what the special counsel is now supposed to be looking at. That's what the congressional committees, the FBI, are investigating. Is there evidence to back up that claim? Well, what we know is that these, now we now know that these contacts happened. 
But we don't know we what don't the know, nature of the We context. don't know what the nature yeah. of the contacts are, or at least we publicly don't know. It was very clear from the Reuters story that U.S. intelligence actually has the content of those communications. They were picked up through U.S. Uh, surveillance of these Russian agents. And European intelligence as well, is that right? European intelligence had actually alerted the FBI in December of 2015 that there were suspicious communications and contacts going on between Russian okay. officials and people around Trump. And so... You know, this has been going on. There is a lot of uh, not just smoke, but there's fire here. And that, and but the question is, the question that the special prosecutor is going to be looking at is what were the nature of those communications and what was the intent behind them? And it, are there transcripts of the communications? Are there recordings? I mean, how will they investigate this? Well, we assume that there are recordings. I, I mean, we obviously haven't seen them publicly, but from what we saw from that report, it does look, it does seem as if those communications were captured, at least the metadata of those communications were captured so they know who it was that was talking and when and for how long. Now, when you start talking about a criminal investigation with the power of subpoena, with the ability to interview witnesses, you know, this is the kind of thing that the special prosecutor is going to be examining. And we've seen already that, I mean, this, this FBI investigation didn't start on Wednesday. You know, they've, they've, moved uh, ahead to the point where they've issued grand jury subpoenas mm -hmm. for records related to Flynn and Manafort. So this is happening. And we we have a, a very clear sense of what the special prosecutor is going to be looking at. And these kinds of things are now knowable. They can find out and they can not only trace back from the recordings of the communications if those exist, get the emails if those exist, but actually interview the witnesses. Now, Flynn himself refused a subpoena from the Senate Intelligence Committee. What's the next step for them? How do they drag him in front of their committee? Well, it seems very unlikely, actually, that Flynn is going to testify before the Senate. And this is, again, where we get into the distinction between the criminal probe mm -hmm. and this congressional investigation. There is an ongoing criminal investigation of which Mike Flynn is a target. Yeah. So he is very much in the crosshairs of this investigation. It would be silly, crazy, stupid for him to go testify publicly I in see. front of the Senate under oath to provide basically a record of his activities that he would, they would be asking very similar questions to what the I FBI see. is going to be asking. So he's been subpoenaed. Now, he, his, his attorney said, we're not going to honor the subpoena, which is a very fancy way of getting around saying, we're going to plead the Fifth Amendment so that we don't incriminate ourselves in front of the Senate committee. So they can do that. I see. Um, so it's very unlikely that he's going to testify publicly unless, unless they work out some kind of deal with the FBI about his criminal liability. And if you remove the criminal liability in some way, whether they uh, work out a deal, I will plead guilty to this charge if you drop that charge, or you know, even if he gets full uh, uh, immunity, then he wouldn't be able to take the fifth because he would not be exposed to criminal liability to the based on the conduct um, that would be the subject of the hearing. And then he would have to testify. And Ken, very quickly, just zooming out 30,000 feet what is the theory for why Trump allegedly may have evidence points to the fact gotten in bed with the Russians? It has to do with his business dealings and Russians financing some of those dealings years ago? Yeah. So, you know, we all know Trump uh, went bankrupt multiple times. You know, the typical problem when you go bankrupt multiple times is that banks won't loan you money yeah. because, you know, <laughs> you're kind of a risk. Uh, and so 
he had to find alternative sources of financing. And it seems very clear that through the 2000s, and particularly after the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, that the Russians were a big source of his financing, both in terms of using uh, loans and from kind of Russian oligarchs using real estate transactions to launder their dirty money. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's a piece of the story, the piece, a, a key piece of context that I think isn't really being reported here, yeah. that there's a reason why this close relationship exists. And yeah. it's not just about winning a campaign. No. It's also about uh, the, this business relationship. And of course, his identity is tied up in his business. And so um, I think it explains at least part of the reason for for how we what, what how we got here. Yeah. Well, Ken Good, senior fellow with our wonderful national security team at the Center for American Progress, follow him on Twitter. Do it at Ken Good, and of course online at AmericanProgress.org. I'm Igor Volsky. Quick break. We'll be back with Congressman Al Green right after this. Walls work. Just ask Israel. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com/slash Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress filling in for the great Bill Press. Here in studio with the great Congressman Al Green of the state of Texas on Twitter, at Rep Al Green. Congressman, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate your kind words. I'm not sure that I've earned great, but I appreciate your being kind. My mother would love you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just trying to get a trip to Texas from you because I've never been to your great state. I've never really visited. So... uh, uh, one of these days. Well, I'd like to have you come in August so that you can experience all of Texas, including the heat and the humidity. Mm. You it, you represent it, the Houston area. I do. Well, I, not in, in its entirety, but yes, the Houston area. Actually, there are two other cities, Missouri City and Stafford, that are in the congressional district. It's Houston the south side of the city. Wonderful. Houston is a wonderful city. Um, but my biggest question is, what in the world happened to James Harden? Well, um, I think he's an excellent player. Yeah. Um, he uh, he has a good cast with him, uh, but uh, there are times when uh, you have to get one more shot, uh, one more rebound, and we fell a little bit short, but I'm optimistic. I think that there is a good next year for us, not just another next year. Okay. I think we'll be there. Okay. I think we have the team that can take it all the way. All right. All right. Thank you. I like your optimism. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm a Spurs optimistic. guy, so. <laughs> well, ordinarily, I would be supporting the Spurs now, but <laughs> I, I really want to see the matchup again. I do, too. I, I, I mean, see I, the I'm matchup. not upset about it. Yeah, I want to see Golden State and Cleveland. Uh, I thought that it was a great matchup last time, but as you know, uh, the Golden State was short one good player. Yeah. And I think that made a difference. So I'd like to see both of them at full strength, and let's see what happens. Now, if you're lucky enough to be in Texas, be sure to join the congressman at his town hall next Saturday, May 20th, 10 a.m. at the Fountain Life Center as he continues the discussion on impeachment. And of course, that's uh, what we're here to discuss. Earlier this week, you took to the House floor and made the case for impeaching Donald Trump. Make that case to me this morning. Well, before making the case, Uh, I think it's important to understand what impeachment is. 
because we do have a good many people who assume that if the president is impeached, the president will be removed from office. Of course, this isn't true. The House of Representatives can impeach the president, and it can do so with a majority of the members voting for impeachment. Thereafter, the case goes to the Senate for a trial, and the president can then be convicted in the Senate with two-thirds of the senators voting for conviction. In the House of Representatives, any member, any member can file a resolution, articles of impeachment, and they will be taken up by the House. So at some point, I could file a motion. I'm calling it a motion because I used to be a lawyer and and I was a small claims court judge, so please forgive me, uh, <laughs> but um, I can file the uh, resolution for impeachment. Now, understanding what impeachment is, it's important to note that to be impeached does not require that you have criminal charges pending against you in court. Andrew Johnson was impeached. We've had two presidents impeached. Neither was convicted, by the way. I am absolutely, totally, and completely convinced that the president committed an act, an impeachable act, when he fired the FBI director who was investigating him. The FBI director was investigating the president, not some other person, but the president. And when he fired the FBI director, he went on to let us know why he fired him. He fired him because he was investigating him. That, my dear friend, is an impeachable offense. There are many other things that we'll consider, and I think they should be considered. I think the memo uh, should be considered. This is the memo Comey kept. Yeah, the Comey memo should be considered. I think we should consider all of the allegations with reference to Russia and how they impacted the campaign and, in fact, impacted our election. All of these things should be considered. But all of these things aside, the impeachable offense occurred when he fired Comey for investigating him, and he will have that haunting him as long as he is president, because as long as he's president, he can be impeached for that act. You know, I think you really make a, a, a very smart point here, because so many people just look at the connection to Russia and they say, oh, you know, Russia hacked the campaign or Russia rigged the election or whatever, right? It's, it's really hard to show that. But this obstruction of justice is real and he has essentially admitted to it. He has. And he so has. this is not some, oh, like, we don't need a big, I mean, we need to get all the facts out, of course. We don't need some big investigation of what Russia did and where they, what, what kind of hand they played in the election. This is very specific and... You could point to this is it, what it, the problem it, is. It, it is perspicuous. I'm it is intuitively <laughs> obvious to the most <laughs> casual observer if the observer will look. Um, I think that people are looking for something on a grand scale, but impeachable offenses can be quite simple, mm. and they can be easily understood. This is easily understood. You're right. Now, for those who say, and there are many who say, we need to get all of the facts. Many within your own party. We need to get all of the facts. Get other facts is what they're really saying. We need other facts. And I, I want them to have the other facts. But this is indisputable. This is indisputable. 
Well, let me get you to respond to one of those voices. Uh, yesterday, uh, we launched at CAP a new podcast called Thinking CAP. Okay, see, uh, and our first guest uh, was Cory Booker. I asked him uh, this very question about what does he say to constituents or, or members of his own party who are calling for impeachment? Here is Senator Booker of New Jersey uh, replying to the calls of impeachment coming from you and others. I think we need now be, I need to be very careful that that we who pursue the facts and the truth I just understand that. When you get to something as serious as impeachment, mm -hmm. and we saw this with uh, the impeachment of, of Clinton, to allow it to become a proxy for relitigating an election, as opposed to something that is should sober us all, that a president of the United States has, has committed a high crime, I think that we all should have respect for the institutions to make sure if we're doing that, it has nothing to do with our partisanship. Now, he does say that what Trump has done points to obstruction of justice. I think that what he's done is pointed towards obstruction, but I think that we have to follow the facts now in a very sobered, uh, objective way. I think the Comey testimony is going to be critical. What other memos does he have? Now, how do you respond to that, this sense sure. that it's too, it's too early? We don't have all the facts. Well, this is not about the Democrats. It's not about politics. It really is not about Democrats. It's about the democracy. It's about the people having the final word. It's not about Republicans. It's about the Republic. And Franklin said, you have one if you can keep it. This is about keeping the Republic. This is not about something that I want to do. It's something that I have to do if I believe in the Constitution of the United States of America. So I really focus on the issue at hand. It is very clear that the president has committed an impeachable act. But I assure you, my dear friend, impeachment starts from the bottom up, not the top down. The people have to weigh in. I have consistently said the people have to weigh in. The people will have to raise their voices. This is something that the people will have to show their will on. They have to say, this is what we will. This is what we would have done. And when they do, we'll have the will to do it. This is not a question of way. It's a question people have to raise their voices. So That's why we're having this impeachment town hall meeting. And I'm encouraging people around the country who believe that the president has committed an impeachable act to have an impeachment town hall meeting so that we can vet these issues. By the way, the congressman is having, uh, Congressman Al Green, his impeachment town hall meeting Saturday, May 20th at the Fountain Life Center in Houston, Texas. Uh, starts at 10 a.m. Uh, join him there uh, if you're able. Congressman, let me ask you then, what are you hearing from your constituents? And talk a bit about how you came to the decision to call for impeachment. Was it a result of calls you got uh, to your office constituents you met with who told you now is the time? Or are you leading on this charge and building support uh, through the grassroots? Well, pardon me for being terse and laconic. <laughs> pardon me for being pithy and concise. <laughs> but my decision was based solely, totally upon what the president has done. If every one of my constituents calling me would uh, call with a message of, don't impeach the president, that would not change my position one scintilla. 
the president has committed an impeachable offense, and he is not above the law. This is really about whether we live in a country where no person is beneath the law. That's pretty important, by the way, that you not be so poor, that you not be so, so a part of the downtrodden, that you're beneath the law. No person is beneath it, and no person is so rich, so wealthy, so powerful, so much a part of the plutocracy that you're above the law. Nobody in this country should be above the law. So the president has committed an impeachable offense, and that is the only reason that I am doing this. It has nothing to do with what someone told me. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, where, where politics and what I hope to accomplish. Uh, most of the people that call are very positive. But I will tell you this, I've had a serious threat made, and that will not deter me. As a matter of fact, if anything at all, it will encourage me to stay the course. What kind of threat? Well, I probably, here's what I will do. At this town hall meeting, I plan to talk more about that. Because one of the things that we cannot do is eliminate hate by sweeping it under the rug. When we con have hate before us, we have to confront it. We cannot ignore it. And there's some serious hate associated with what we are trying to accomplish. And I'll talk more about it at the town hall meeting. I mean, I saw you featured on Fox News the day you called for impeachment, around the clock. So, I mean, I can imagine these you're referring to, it sounds like Trump supporters who, who are making threats against you. Well... <laughs> We'll get into that, but the truth is this. Who the person is supporting is not as important as what the person has threatened to do. That's what's important. It really, really, we live in a country where people ought to be able to exercise free speech rights without the fear of having something untoward, something very ugly occurring. So you feel like these threats were trying to silence you? I think that, uh, well, once you hear the threat, and I, I'll play it at the town hall meeting. Oh, you have an audio recording. This is something called into your office. Yeah, this will not be my interpretation. It will yeah. not be my rendition. It will be the actual words of the person who called. So that, that has to be dealt with. But the more important thing is no one being above the law. The president is not above the law. And for edification purposes, there will be an impeachment petition filed. I have said that what I'd like to do is see what others will do. And I've said that we need to give the country an opportunity to weigh in. I think we need to talk about impeachment. I know that there, there are some who are not comfortable with it. I, I understand. It's not something I want to do. Uh, I understand that uh, there, there are various segments of society where this would create concerns for them, just the mere act of impeachment. There are people who, uh, who, who have some concerns, and I, I really don't want to make a big to-do of that now because it will change the focus. But I also understand this. If we allow this to happen, we will set a precedent. And that means that the president in the future will be able to obstruct justice in this way, and uh, it won't be an impeachable offense. So I'm going to uh, file a motion. I keep saying motion because I'm a lawyer. <laughs> and I'm going to file the uh, resolution 
the articles of impeachment. And for those who have never read articles of impeachment, I think you should, by the way. You can go online and read them. Those who haven't read them, I want you to know that they are in the name of the people of the United States of America. That's how they're filed, in the name of the people of the United States of America. So the people have to weigh in. I beg that you would let your voices be heard. I am a voice in the wilderness. I understand that. I am a voice in the wilderness, uh, and I appreciate your allowing me to get a message out. Uh, you may have seen my picture on a lot of these uh, programs, but I have not been on any of the mainstream morning programs uh, uh, they haven't invited you? Not, I have not been on any. Have, if they've invited me, I apologize to them for not getting that notice of invitation called to my attention. So uh, I have not. I'm a voice in the wilderness, uh, but I am a voice that will not be silenced. Speaking of voices, I could listen to you read a phone book. Oh, yes, you, I was you, thinking you, the same you thing. Have, Could uh, you, please? You, this, <laughs> is, this is great. But, you know, you were the first uh, congressman to call for impeachment on the House floor, and you you sort of shed this low-key demeanor, which you have this morning. You were pretty fired up about calling for impeachment uh, of, of Donald Trump. What kind of reaction have you gotten from your House colleagues? I have not spoken to my colleagues about this uh, in a very general sense. Uh, in passing, someone would say good job or whatever uh, mm -hmm, some, mm -hmm. someone might say you know something to me but um, but I, I haven't had an in-depth conversation I, I'm not going to ask them to do anything I really am not this is a question of conscience yeah and when you deal with questions of conscience you have to leave people to their own uh, thoughts and their own uh, reasons for uh, moving one way or another this will metamorphose. It starts in one place. It'll end in another. But um, it's a question of conscience, so I'm not lobbying. I'm not asking members to support this. Uh, if, if I'm forced to bring the petition to the floor, here I am again, lawyer. If I, the resolution, uh, the, um, the articles of impeachment, uh, I won't be asking people, will you sign on to this? It will go to the floor, and there will be a vote. And each person will vote his or her conscience. We're talking to Congressman Al Green of Texas, who earlier this week called for impeachment of President Trump. Congressman, but why not build support among your colleagues? You know, we know that um, the Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi, is hesitant to even use the word impeachment. Um, it's unclear, as you say, how many of your colleagues in the House support your move. Uh, have you in caucus meetings elsewhere made made the case? It sounds like you, you haven't, and I wonder why you haven't. You make a powerful case to us today, um, one that's rooted in, in our democracy, um, in, in our constitutionality of our republic. Why not take that to your colleagues and see if you can build a larger case and, and bring these articles forward with uh, great support from, from the Democratic caucus? You're right. It's not personal. It is constitutional. That's an important point. And it is such that the acid test will not be what people will do before they have the opportunity to vote. The acid test will take place when we vote. I'm not going to uh, try to convince people that I'm right. 
I believe that each person in the House of Representatives has the ability to, uh, to, to decipher, comprehend, and understand this. And to the extent that they desire to take a position, one or another, it really won't matter to me. It really won't. I will have done what I was elected to do. I will have honored the Constitution as it is written, Article 2, Section 4. I will have honored the Constitution. And if there are people who differ with me, I would say to them, uh, I'm sorry you differ with me, and I, I, um, I really don't intend to offend you. I really don't intend to, to say anything that would cause you to have consternation or reservations about my motives or whatever. I, I really am, I, I'll even apologize to them now mm. because it's not about them. It's not about how they feel about me, what they think about me. I'm really a nobody. I, I, I'm, I'm not some guy who has gone out and conquered the world. I have stayed in my lane. I've worked on my committee assignments. I've tried my best to serve the people I represent. So at some point, it all comes to a head. And when it does, people will make their decisions. You know, I'm going to make a comparison, which I hope you don't mind me making. But um, in the days after 9-11 and the Patriot Act came around, Barbara Lee was the one person the first Congresswoman Barbara Lee was the first person to vote no, the only person to vote no on the Patriot Act. And when we look back at that now, I think if a lot of politicians could do that again, they would join Barbara Lee. So I think to be the first one out there is tough. And I think that this time, next year or in five years, we're going to look back and say, Al Green was right. Congressman Al Green was right. That's the first place we should have started here. As soon as we heard obstruction of justice, we had a smoking gun on the obstruction of justice, we should have immediately jumped on the impeachment uh, train. Well, I, I respect and honor uh, the Honorable Barbara Lee. Um, it took great courage to do what she did. To be very honest, I think it takes less courage to do what I'm doing. Uh, I, I really respect her. I, I, I can't say enough about her. Uh, and, and, and Maxine Waters. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't say enough about Maxine, Barbara Lee, John Lewis. You can't say enough about these people. Uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Bloody Sunday. John Lewis thought that he would not survive. Now he's in Congress. But here's my position on uh, whether I'm right or wrong. Time tells. Time reveals all things, and time will know. History judges. Time tells, history judges, and the truth will be known. I believe I'll be vindicated. Uh, I just think that uh, when you do the right thing, Dr. King said, do that which is neither safe nor politic nor popular. Do it because it's right. I think you you sleep pretty good at night. I got a pretty good night's rest last night. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. Uh, and to hear from the congressman directly this Saturday, May 20th, uh, you can attend his impeachment town hall at 10 a.m. at the Fountain Life Center in Houston, Texas. Congressman, talk a bit about the reaction you've gotten uh, to your call that's not isolated to, to the negative reaction we, we've discussed, but 
uh, have more constituents called your office, offered their support? How, uh, how was this received more broadly? Do you feel like there's support out in America for the impeachment call now? I absolutely do. Um, I talked last night to one of Houston's uh, personalities. I won't use his name since I, I'm not authorized, but he's a rapper. And uh, he was. we had a very good conversation. He called me. And uh, he indicated that uh, he was very much supportive of what we're doing. I've spoken to many ministers uh, who are very supportive. I will call one name. He is a dear friend, and he sent me a note. Reverend Bill Lawson in Houston, Texas, who is the preeminent uh, minister in the city. All persons respect him, uh, and he he was very positive and and indicated, uh, gave me his words of encouragement. Um, I, I've talked to many people who have said that they believe this is the right thing to do. And, and I appreciate and I respect what they're saying. But I also have to say this. If tomorrow morning when I wake up, they have all decided for whatever reasons that this is inappropriate, it won't change my position. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I sincerely believe in what I'm doing. And by the way, I don't think these people will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, I, I'm making the point that I'm not doing it because of what others are saying to me. I'm doing it because of what the Constitution speaks to me. And I've had many people, just many, uh, too many to name uh, persons with, who are Muslim, uh, Christians, uh, Jewish community, all of whom have called and said, we think you're doing the right thing. You know, just quickly in, in the time we have left, it's fascinating to me that these calls of support come from um, minority groups who are, you know, under attack by this administration. Uh, that to me feels like a, a factor here in the sense that uh, these are the brave people who are, are standing up. Um, and, and as Peter says, maybe years from now, we all look back and say we should have joined them. Well, a good many of the persons are from uh, what we would call subsets of society that may uh, be called minorities, uh, but uh, a good many have been from the subset of society that we would call majority. Uh, These are terms that I I don't like using, but I use because they're understood. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for coming in. Congressman Al Green. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Joining us on Twitter, at Rep Al Green. Congressman, thank you so much. I'm Igor Volsky signing off for the Bill Press Show. Bill's back on Monday. Goodbye. Thank you, sir. This is the Bill Press Show.